let's face it. I think we've all gone through the stage of getting to the point where you're shaving every single ounce out, right? You're cutting tags, you're doing all the things. I know I was there at a certain point. Every ounce, half ounce mattered. Um, and then you mature. And then you're like, <laughs> you know what? Come on. It is really, I'm, I'm man enough to pack a few extra ounces here if it means a little bit more comfort. So I've swung wildly to Uber Light. And now I've come back to the middle and I'm willing to carry a pack that's got a few extra ounces to it. If it means more comfort and that mm-hmm. it's going to carry weight really want it to when I'm at a hundred pounds or 80. And also some of the gear reflects that as well. You know, I'm willing to pack a few things now that I wasn't doing in the past, you know, um, you know, comfort. And uh, I don't want to feel like a pansy and like, cut out all these little comfort things because I'm not willing to pack an extra pound. Um, I feel like, you know, these workouts, these rucks and all the things should allow us to carry a little extra weight. And uh, so I'm back on that side of the fence. Now I'm, I'm packing a little bit more if it means more comfort. Yeah. I want to buy my way to lightweight instead of lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> shoot to hunt podcast i'm ryan avery and i'm here with jake mcshaney jake how much weight have you lost sir I, today i weigh in at a 216 that doesn't sound like any weight loss it's the same fucking weight that Is i was the last same week number? yeah oh shit <laughs> i'm going to 180 by september 1st ryan for those of you that don't know we have ryan lampers aka backcountry jesus <laughs> on the fucking podcast is today. that your nickname for him or is that like a no it's, nickname it's kind of caught on has it not ryan yeah, every started it. <laughs> I don't like the nickname, but he's uh, he's forced it. Nice. Oh yeah, so I'm trying to get down to 180 by September 1st, and uh, I'm at 216, Ryan. Some fucking oh, work wow. to do. Tanya's well, what, got some wit to make that happen, eh? Yeah, well, Tanya's kind of like 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 Doc Hill. She uh, looks yeah. at she just walks one time and she drops eight pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know it's frustrating. I know my <laughs> wife, my wife can start working out, and like she got a six pack in two weeks, you know, and it's it's like blows my mind. Yeah, I was I was your your wife turned fifty, and I did not know that you've had your big thing on the, online. That's that's impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She turned fifty. I'm I'm forty nine. I'm getting up there. She's but, a cougar. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she that woman, dude. She she's. As many people know, she's uh, a rock star. She works hard, um, unbelievably fit. Like I said, she uh, she just stays real active. But at fifty, she's never looked better. No, I love that lady because she uh, she she pretty much got rid of my migraines. That's a whole nother topic. But mm-hmm. yep, mm-hmm. NCR, look it up. That wild podcast right there, wouldn't it? What's that? That would be a wild podcast, wouldn't it? Talking about NCR. Yep. Yep. They break your face. That's all I really can. How I explain it is they shove something up your nose and break your fucking cranium and it works. Certainly it It does work. Yeah, Yeah, it does. Yeah. I think I've told you that story, Jake. Mm. 
I don't know what NCR is. It'd be a whole long, it's neuro, is it neurocranial reconstruction or what is it? That's. Yep. Neurocranial. Yep. yep. Neurocranial reconstruction. Nice. And basically I had a migraine every, pretty much every week or every other week. And since she, she's done it to me twice, um, I have maybe one every five or six months. So anyways. She's curious. A lot of people with headaches. She's had a lot of people come with migraines that just don't get them anymore. But yeah, it's a bizarre process. It is. I had to do a little research, you know, because Joey, you you can't fucking believe Joey, but he's the one that brought it up to me. So I had to look around. I had to call Ryan. I had to make sure I wasn't going to die when this happened. And I didn't die. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, what's funny is like that process. Um, You know, my family is a bunch of skeptics by nature, especially my folks my father joey um we're skeptical about anything wacko but and this is pretty wacko but man does it ever work it's nuts it actually does what it says it's supposed to do and it really does help folks with all kinds of issues let's let's get off that we'll talk about that on another yeah get doc hill on yep um i actually wanted a question i didn't ask you i wanted to bring up about you being 49 and and uh, how much time you spend in the backcountry being 49, you know, you've been born and raised pretty much in the backcountry your whole life. Do you notice any, like, uh, degradation in your physical ability at 49 compared to 25? And I know you put a lot of time and effort into it and probably pay more attention now. But could if you wanted to go kill an elk when you were 25 and it was two drainages over, are you still able to go grab, the, you know, go grab another gear and go get that elk at 49? Yeah, and I'll and I will say this, and people may not believe it, but it's true. At 25, I wasn't a quarter of where I am right now. Um, you know, I was young and dumb, and I felt like I was doing a lot, but uh, my stamina at this point in my life—I think it's the mental thing that everybody talks about—that's so cliche but true—is um, so much stronger. I mean, my 25 years year old self, yeah, I could get two ridges, but I could get six now. It's a uh, it's not even close. And, um, I remember those days in my twenties when you're supposed to be at your, your absolute best, you know, peak testosterone and, and all the things. And I'd feel that burning in your legs, you know, like that lactic acid buildup and the things that kind of hold you back and soreness and, and all that. Um, that's just not a thing anymore. I don't, I don't get sore and I don't feel any lactic acid buildup at all. And I haven't for a long, long time, but, I don't know. I don't know what that's from. If it's just a lifetime of doing it or, you know, a lot of things changed when, um, cleaned up the diet, uh, definitely added some subs that, that, uh, were supposed to alleviate some of that inflammation and all that kind of jazz. There's a lot of different things, um, that have helped me get to where I am now. Probably most go back to my wife and, uh, she's uh, got me all cleaned up with everything. Yeah, at 49, I am uh, 10 times uh, the physical, I have 10 times the physical abilities that I did in my 20s. Wow. Not even close. Do you have any limiting factors? Is there nothing, you have to take a rest day ever, or can you just keep going and going and going? No, I don't, definitely, this sounds, sounds egotistical, these questions you're asking me talk about myself it's uncomfortable <laughs> well well but, but i, I want to because you know on rock slide there's a over 60 and you see half the yeah. guys that's why i'm asking you because you've been you i think people that like are late onset fitness people 
They don't have like, they don't have nothing to look back at. So I, I read these things mm. and some guys that are, one guy said he's 68, maybe. Anyways, he uh, says, man, I can barely climb a ridge and I got to take two days off. And and the other guy who is 65 says, yeah. man, I hunted 10 days in the Brooks range and we didn't take a day off. And we we're, as you say, grabbing miles, you know, every day. So it's like, where, yeah. and everybody's different, but where is that breakdown? What, what is happening there? I know you've, you've went through your diet and you've alleviated everything that has, you know, inflammation markers, but is that the key or is the key just getting out there and move every day? I think that's, I think all of it. Um, you know, I think diet is a big part. I think taking specific subs to help with the inflammation is a big part. Uh, recovery type supplements, um, can overlooked at, but I think, yeah, maybe the, the, Probably what does the most is just uh, consistency and doing it over time and not just a few years, but decades. And, um, you know, over that time, you I don't know if it's, you just become more stubborn or mentally tough or whatever. But, um, you know, I I honestly do not get sore. I don't need a, uh, a rest day um, these days. I can do these these 10 days or two weekers without rest in between and go right to the next one and be just fine. And, um, you know, that I, I think it's all the things, you know, I, I definitely take a lot of subs that help with that, uh, recovery time. And I think the quicker you can recover, the better you are, um, you know, with just an overnight sleep, you know, it's all the, the turmeric that I take and the krill oil. And then obviously all that CBD that I take that I probably take more than, most, you know, I'm taking a hundred mil grams a day on these hunts, um, 50 in the morning, 50 in the evening and just like, uh, religion. And, uh, you know, it's gotta make a difference because even in my thirties, I had days where I'd come off a hunt or come off a season, especially late in November where my body just toast shot, you know, and I definitely need a week sometimes to, to recover. But um, I think, you know, when I changed the diet and Hill got much more strict with, with me, um, man, that plus the subs and it, it really, really did help. You know, there was no downtime at the end of it. I wasn't having to recover for so long with inflamed joints and just kind of walking funny for, um, for a couple of days after a big hunt. There's none of that anymore. It's just right on with the next one. So not, not. I don't know with 100% certainty. I think it's a good combo of, of all the things, though. And just consistency of being on your feet with loads on your back, you know, a lot of ups, downs, heavy loads, all the things. You know, even in the off-season, not necessarily on just trips, but just morning hikes with your pack on and things like that. Over time, the core muscles that um, that you use with that weighted pack every day are going to be what help you on your hunt. I'm Definitely not a gym rat, uh, not a CrossFit guy at all. Don't do any of that stuff, but um, weighted hikes are, have been probably the best for me. You, you, you have a CrossFit gym in your fucking basement. I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife's down there a lot. We have, uh, we have, I mean, we got your classic stuff. You know, we got a bench, we got, um, you know, some deadlift stuff. We got, um, incline decline all the stuff and then yeah we got some battle ropes we got a box for um 
just like weighted ups, downs, step ups, do a lot of that with the pack on in those winter months. Um, the box gets used a lot down there. And then we got a rower and a stairmaster. So yeah, we are pretty set downstairs. And my wife takes advantage of that a lot. And I, I gotta say, the one thing I do like to do down there, I work the box and then um just up downs with a weighted pack on or a sandbag on my shoulder, or I do the rower. I love that rower. I think so. That thing will kick your butt. <laughs> well, we got off topic there, but I wanted to kind of touch on it, give people a base of what you do. And and you're not doing you're not doing flatland, you know, rolling hills. You guys are in some I know you guys are bear hunting and it's some <laughs> rough stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I just took a, a group of guys out that hadn't um hunted the type of terrain that that we hunt there, Ryan, and and they were blown away. They um they were definitely walking funny at the end of it and they had a whole <laughs> these western hunts, man. They had seen things so steep and I had never seen uh men so scared at times. But the, like uh, like steep. like height scared or just what, what were they scared? Like, what, scared? like what did I get myself into scared? That kind of scared, yeah. The steep, you know, the one misstep type stuff, the um just rolling down a mountain with your pack on worries, I guess. But we're all pretty used to, you know, being careful and just being able to traverse that stuff all the time. But I guess if you haven't done that country a lot, it's it's definitely your first few trips are probably pretty worrisome. You think about the uh the worst possibilities. Um if you were to slip. Yeah. There's some, you know, there's like Colorado, there's Idaho, there's Wyoming, but there's parts of each state that are ridiculous, but Montana and Idaho have some just ridiculous steep terrain. Did you guys get some bears with these guys? Yeah. Yeah. I was able to take a a big old pumpkin head on this last one. Um, it's funny that it was a, it was a stud old bear, but, uh, kind of a short body to him. It's one of those ones that uh, is kind of like old man. It had really broad shoulders, big head on him. And then his ass just went flipped right down. There's like nothing back there. It's a short, short, squatty bear. I weird. resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you said jet black when I talked to you earlier. Black. Yeah, jet black. Yeah. Good bear. All right. Well, we'll get on task here. Uh, we are shoot to hunt. So the first priority is to bring up Ryan Lamper's weapon system and kind of your philosophy behind it. And I also want you to bring into the equation because I know this is a moving number because when I first started talking to you, you were 300 and in guy and, and I've seen that number being pushed out. So take us through the philosophy of your weapon system, if you would. Okay. Yeah, and I, I know I am not a, uh, a nerd like uh, you and Jake there when it comes to all things um, weapon systems. I love listening to you guys, but uh, I'm not at that level. So I can, in layman's terms, tell you what I use. Um, right now, so the last handful of years, uh, I've been running, well, since Weatherby came out with that RPM, that 6.5 RPM, I've been running that. And um, that's been a good one for me. I've tried backcountry the very lightweight version that they've come out with um and then honestly i i picked up one of the carbon marks years ago and that's the one that i have consistently stuck with that thing is just a shooter um it's um yeah it's been great and that's in the 6.5 rpm 
You're, but you've bumped up since you've been to Alaska. For some reason, you think you need a 338. Can you? Oh, yeah. Up there. Um, actually, went up to Alaska last year for some caribou and moose. And yeah, I brought the uh, the 338 RPM up on that one. And, um, a little 18 inch barrel lightweight to take him up with. And Ryan, I know every time we talk about this, like that, you laugh at the 338, but dude, that thing shoots so good. Um, you know, we put a five port TI pro on there and, uh, man, I mean, I have no way if you shoot that 338, even off that lightweight platform, it's a, um, it's mm-hmm. a great gun for how we, you know, get off grid and, um, really put the miles on. I hate, I hate packing heavy, especially comboed with the fact, like you mentioned, I don't shoot very far. You know, I keep things tight 300 and in always is the goal if possible. Um, you know, you're right. I've taken a couple of critters you know, out to 400, 450 even, but, um, you know, as far as everything, deer and elk, everything has been pretty tight. So I'm not a, I'm not a long range shooter or hunter. I just, just not, um, I don't know why, but I like getting to that 300 range. Well, I, I can't knock you. I do, you know, you do you and you're very successful at it. What optics are you running on that, that RPM? So I've been putting that, uh, keeping, keeping with the, uh, the LH, the lightweight, the LHT, uh, vortex four and a half to 22, um, very lightweight scope. It's worked great for me. I used it for the last few years. I had no issues. And then you're running a, the five port and you, you've dabbled in little suppressors lately, but you've. Yeah. Yeah. I've been playing with some different suppressors, um, with that with that rpm i mean i don't know they just they just seem a little poppy to me when i can put that uh that five port on there and honestly i just like shooting it better with the brake over the uh over the suppressors so well that's one thing you and jake definitely agree on is he is a brake guy over a suppressor guy Mm -hmm. yeah I'm trying yeah, to find this six five RPM case capacity on here. I don't see it. they don't compare it to a lot of different cartridges. Mm. But I think it it's it's almost a long it's a thirty out six basically almost neck. It's down. a standard but, case head? Yeah. It's not a magnum, right? Standard. I'm pretty sure it's standard case head, right? Thirty head it's like a thirty out six oh, bullet, right? Do you know, Ryan? Oh, you guys there? Yep. Do you know, yeah, is that you. a standard case head? It's not a magnet. Oh, it is. It's a 473. Yep. It's a standard case head. Yeah. I believe it's just like a 30 out six neck down neck to down six, five, but with weather six, five, flare. six, five out six. Yep. It's got the flared shoulder at the front. Okay. You know, I wonder if the free bore is. Oh, actually I don't think it has a flared shoulder. It doesn't have that radius shoulder on the front on the neck, Ryan. Oh no, it's showing up. It's a 35. Yeah. It's a 35 and a quarter degree shoulder. Huh, yeah, so I bet you it's, it's kind of like between the PRC and a SOM as far as capacity. Somewhere yeah, in but on a long action. Yeah. Kind of not taking advantage. On the how many animals you shot with that rifle, Ryan? Oh, oh, I'd say probably well, maybe 25 or so. Damn. I've had a lot of folks um grab it as well. Oftentimes I'm I'm the one carrying the rifle and uh you know, we'll split the duty. So guys are always grabbing it, shooting their critters. And my daughter has shot um, a couple mule deer with it. She absolutely loves shooting it. So, yeah. 
What uh, what bullet? Cho- I assume you're shooting the factory ammunition with it. What bullet choices do you have? So you can do interlocks, acubones. I'm I'm running the Shirakos. Okay. If I had to choose a bonded, that would be it. Me and Ryan have these. We have long debates about bullets. Mm. And then there was a video of Mark Levesay, and I don't know if you ever saw of this. I knew it wasn't a match bullet when he hit this thing and it wasn't a bonded bullet, which I thought it was, I believe it was an ELDX and it ran around for like a half an hour. <laughs> yeah. So me and Ryan were it's just, gonna, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. They do. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah. we talked between, we're constantly talking between match bullets and bonded and, and monos and, but you've had good luck with you. I mean, 300 and in like you like it. Those, I mean, those bonded bullets are freaking designed for that. Oh Yeah. Yeah, I've, I mean, I ran, I ran the Chiracos out of the six fives. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, with that three thirty eight for the big stuff, I was running those TTSXs off the uh, on the barns, and and those were great. What's that. the what's the weight on that Sirocco bullet, and how fast is it going? Uh, one hundred thirty, one hundred thirty grain, and um, in that six five, I think we're at thirty thirty one fifty. And what about barrel length? 24 inch. Okay. It's pretty good. You're screaming out there. Did you notice yeah. like when you, the video with you and Brian was, was that shooting those moose out in that swampy area? Was that the, the barns, the TTX, TTS, that was called? Yeah. Yeah. Two twenty five. Did those all exit? Well, if you saw the first hit, um, so I put my caribou down and then that other caribou walked in and Brian shot the second caribou. And if you'll notice that thing went screaming right through his caribou and right through my antler on that, uh, that caribou oh. that I'm staying right behind is, um, yeah, they, they all exited except for the second shot on that moose. Um, it, uh, it didn't clear the offside hide. Well, maybe tell people where they can see this video. So that's going to be on the gritty YouTube. And if you go back and look at some of the moose stuff that we did, that was the Alaska series. Okay. Um, I think it's, gosh, I want to say it's like five, five parts. It starts with some caribou and we ended up shooting eight different caribou. Um, and we killed a couple of nice bull moose on that trip. Those are all kind of highlighted in those, those gritty, gritty vids. Yeah. What were your thoughts on those Barnes bullets after that? Great. Great. They did everything I wanted. They look like they worked. <clears throat> it worked. <laughs> yeah. No, they did great. I, I, I've never, I mean, I've never heard of, uh, anybody kind of poo poo in those, those barns TTSXs. I think, I think they're great. Yeah. I don't know what your guys are. I know, I know it seems like everything Avery tries to push me towards these days is a match bullet. So, well, it just has to do with the the long range hunting perspective. So, if you're a 500 yard and in guy, if you can shoot an inch at 100, I mean, 500 yards is only five inches. It doesn't matter how shitty the bullet is or how consistent they are, or even extreme spread is not even hugely important at that point. You know, staying close mm-hmm. range like you are. I mean, trying to stay inside of 300 yards, you could almost shoot anything you wanted as long as it shot think? relatively well at 100 yards, and you're gonna, you know, you're gonna hit your mark on that on that animal. There, there yeah. is the argument that I always make with that is I wouldn't shoot a mono past 500 yards and I wouldn't shoot a barn, bonded bullet past 500 yards. And the reason I wouldn't mm-hmm. shoot them under that is not that they're not deadly. Obviously, you stack them like cordwood over there, Ryan, but 
They seem to stay on their feet longer with hard bullets than heavy for caliber match bullets. That's why I like match bullets. When you hit them with a fucking match bullet from zero to as far as you can shoot, I think that's the optimal death. If you put it in a, you know, it comes, it's placement, penetration, and width. That's what you're looking for every time. You're, you're, if you place it right, penetrate right, and width, you're going to kill them. Always going to kill them, but you don't always get that width with the harder bullets at certain ranges. But they just... Go ahead. Here's my opposite. And, you know, we talk about placement on animals all the time. It's one of the hottest topics, you know, especially when it comes to bears. Um, you know, and and if for guys that have seen the videos, they notice we try to stay off shoulders. I I do everything I can to avoid shoulders. I, I avoid heart shots. And the reason being, and this is not trying to be arrogant or whatever, holier than now, I really want to get all four quarters of that, that meat out. And that's not blowing smoke. I do. That's what I'm there for. It's a big part of why I'm there. Um, there's a whole lot of other reasons I'm doing these hunts too. But I really try to punch bones on all animals and not have a blubbery mess on the offside shoulder or anywhere. I'm, I'm really a really big part of this. And uh, this is a God's honest truth as I am there to try to save meat. And yeah, putting a hole right through those lungs, they do... They're going to be on their feet a little longer, but generally, most oftentimes, if I'm not connecting with bone, um, I'm bringing out four quarters, two tenderloins, two back straps, and all there is is a hole that ran right through the middle of that body and through both lungs. And that's always the goal. That's why we we really talk about middle of middle on bears. Mm. I mean, there's hardly enough meat on bears as it is, so I'm staying off shoulders on bears as well. And that's where I really like punching a hole right through those lungs and not sending shrapnel everywhere and and creating a, a um, just bloodshot mess on that opposite side. That's, Would you say middle of middle? Middle of middle. Middle of middle. Can you explain that? Yeah. So, you know, I guess if you're looking at a bare broadside, you know, middle of middle, I am basically taking that thing, cross-sectioning it middle of up down middle of side to side on that bear if he's outside i'm really trying to think about where that bullet's going to exit and uh, i want to punch it through both lungs i'm trying to avoid shoulders and definitely um not trying to tuck it right behind the shoulder oftentimes and this is contentious i know everybody's got you know their philosophies on where to kill bears but um most, I, I would venture to say, most bears that are hit and they get away are shoulder shots. Bears are like, they've, they've got such good mass up front. That bone density is, it's impressive what a bear can take up front. You can, you can break them down um, and shoot those shoulders off, yeah. But with, with three good legs, that bear is going to cover some ground and possibly get away and leave a very short blood trail if you start breaking them down by shooting those shoulders out. Um, My opinion is you're never going to have a bear that runs away that you've hit middle to middle. And when I say middle, I mean dead center in the middle. If you want to come forward a few inches, great. You're still tapping both lungs. But if you look at a bear's lungs, those things go back to literally um, two ribs back from the back. So it's, it's, it's significant. It's much different than a uh, than an elk or a deer. So hmm. they're going to blow out the 
dogs. And when you hit bears in the middle, they're as soft as a bunny rabbit. I mean, they just go down quickly. They deflate fast. Um, but oftentimes shoulder shots, man, you get a three-legged bear. Like I said, those things can just go forever. And we all know how they bleed. So I think that's a great explanation, middle of middle. And another thing I see a lot, I've witnessed and shot a lot of bears is when they you go for a shoulder shot on a bear, there's not much fr- uh, fudge room in front of that shoulder. So people will there, eat, go ahead. There, there's vitals up there. You're right. I mean, even going for a quartering away um, behind the shoulder shot, you're, you're very close to just no, hitting no vitals on that shot and pushing in front of that hard on a bear. It just sits back further than a deer. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of people continue shooting bears like they shot my grandpa told them to shoot deer and elk and uh they end up wounding quite a few bears in the process and um i think eventually if you talk to a lot of the older gentlemen that have done this for a long long time that uh they eventually will settle on middle middle and then on on deer and elk you had a great explanation that i always aim for that spot but the high lung you call it can you explain that on elk and deer yeah I've always had really good la- luck with, with the high lung. So taking that thing, growing the line down the center and putting it just above it with rifles, you know, with the right. rifle hunt. I'm not going to do that necessarily on a bow hunt, but um, those bulls, deer, whatever, they just seem to crumble, you know, uh, not a, not necessarily a spine shot, but man, that hydrostatic shock that goes through that, um, when you hit above that center line around their lungs, for whatever reason, it deflates them much faster than a low lung hit. That's just what I've, I've noticed. I'm not sure what you guys, have seen, but, um, I love taking that shot if it's available. I'm with you. I don't, I don't like shoulder shots on anything because I, I have taken shoulder shots when I don't want an animal to make it down at the other side of a ridge that I know what's on the other side. But nine times mm-hmm. out of 10, I'm looking at that high lung shot just because I like the meat. I love the meat. So yeah. I want, I'm yep. with you. I want as much meat from that animal as possible. So the high lung Absolutely. is, yeah. High lung is a perfect yeah. shot. Yeah. I've never seen one that was hit high lung, just up off the center. Um, in that reason, go 50 feet, you know, usually they'll just crumble. Um, and they're dead within 50. <clears throat> well, since we're on the animals, I wanted to kind of bring up, uh, bear hunting with you. Cause you guys have been mm-hmm. putting out some really good bear hunting content and you're a big advocate of bear hunting early. Can you kind of tell us that philosophy? Yeah. Um, yeah, it is bear season. We've been getting after it a lot lately, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, when, when folks are, folks are always looking for, you know, the oldest, um, mature boars on the mountain. Right. And so I think a lot of people, um, seen a lot of questions like when, when is that magical time frame? You know, you would assume it's the rut, you know, when those boars are moving a lot, visible, they're running ridges. And that could be the case. And I know a lot of guys that love hunting the rut for bears. Um, but there's it's it's just trickier, you know, and I've I've done the rut hunt quite often and and just seen the frustration because you know, will we get eyes on bears, but if they don't connect with that sow, uh, you are really having a hard time either catching up or put yourself in front of them because they're just always moving and that's in that june time frame um 
but what I have noticed is some of the some of the best successes that I've had in, in just locating old giant bears, you know, old mature boars, and and then putting them down is that very front end of the season, you know, April in a lot of places, uh, the lower elevation stuff. You know, for whatever reason, those old giants just seem to come out first, and they don't move much at that time. They're they're kind of waiting on that green up as well, um, and then you kind of start seeing the the, the medium sized bears, and then the sows and cubs kind of come at the end. For the most part, is what I've noticed. They always seem to den a little bit higher on the hill, but um, you know, a lot of those older mature boars, um, I just seem to get eyeballs on them earliest uh in the season a lot of times that's in april depending on where you're at so my philosophy is for those big ones i, I try to uh get on the, the front edge of that green wave that rolls up the mountain hunt them as early as possible so you know in doing that you you run into some fresh frustration you know sometimes you get there and it's still brown and and you're hunting as low as you possibly can and, and just waiting for the green to show and um and we always give ourselves plenty of time to do that you know we'll add we'll put 10 days 12 days 14 days to a trip and um we just want to be on that front edge of it and be there when that green wave rolls through us and uh that's generally when the those big old suckers get visible you said which bears high which bears den higher on the mountain sales and goes oh gotcha you have a yeah. reason why is that you think we tend to see them later and yeah for I don't know about you guys, but I've just noticed they always tend to get the less prime food as well. So they'll often be even closer to that snow line mm-hmm. and in less areas for food. I think those old matures get the uh, they get the choicest of salad bowls out there. And those sows are smart enough to know that um, they're going to kind of tickle the edges of that and stay out in the less prime areas. And I've just it just seems like I see them a little higher on the hill more often than not. Interesting. Have you, I know this is leading to another question, but have you ever called in a bear? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Called in several bears. It's probably one of the most exhilarating things you can do if I'm being honest. I mean, it's, that's a ton of fun for guys that have done it. Um, yeah, I've called in bears that I've had come racing in and then every once in a while you'll have one come in very slowly and, methodically and you, you don't even know he's coming but yeah i've had pretty good success on that i've in never fact, heard of calling yeah. in bears what what sound are we talking about here oh uh, so i don't even touch the call uh in april generally that front end of the spring bear hunts i generally don't touch it as bears are kind of staying on the grasses they're getting the fibers they're kicking that mucus plug out they're they're not really focused on meat yet uh, for whatever reason, they don't really key into meat until generally mid-May and uh, the back end of May. And that kind of coincides with a lot of those fawns getting dropped and elk calves getting dropped. And usually it's at about that point that they really start going after meat and um, they'll place themselves in these wintering ranges um, or these calving areas where they're going to get some of that. So, um, yeah, I don't know that that's usually when I pull the call out is when I'm getting to that um, second, third week in May, when those bears start thinking about coming into either a fawn uh, in distress or a, or a calf in distress. 
and that's when um that's when things get uh, get nuts and if if guys do go and watch one of those videos we have a couple of videos out on a, a spring bear trip where um i ripped in on i was actually calling to stop uh, a nice chocolate that was down on the hill and in doing so um had a couple of bears come into the side of me a big jet black and or first a big red bear which is actually the one i was hunting and then a big jet black that we didn't even see come in um until we got into the editing process later and noticed that when i was ripping on the calls for this chocolate down below me um we didn't even know but to the side of us came two bears flying in and um and then i ended up killing uh the big jet black that, that came in on that one just because i heard a stick pop he was that close he was 30 yards i stood up and shot him wow. but um it can bring in a lot of bears and not only stopped the chocolate for a couple seconds um but yeah brought in two bears that we didn't even know were right there is it always an elk calf call that you use yeah pretty much i'm i'm really sticking to that one just wailing um just just playing up that distress and uh i had um I have really good luck on a lot of different animals with that. In fact, this year um, on the spring bear trip, I was able to, I got into an area where I had already taken a wolf on this trip. Um, and then I, I pushed in a little deeper into this basin and I was seeing a lot of cat scat back there. And uh, I ended up finding this little bend where the cat had just been, his tracks were coming out and uh, he'd been kicking it up. The dirt was all disturbed and there's cat scat um around it in that drainage and uh so i ended up setting up and calling that that tom in and ended up killing him at 125 and same thing just a uh you know a calf distress call fawn distress call and and it ripped him right in and five days later i did the same thing on another tom and i got that tom into 50 which i had to let go i didn't have a second tag obviously so yeah, it was, um, it was really working spring on the pool. Right. Are these, can you go into this a little bit? Are these blind call setups or are you in an area you see scat, you see sign, you see the animal? I'm seeing fresh, fresh scat. I'm, I'm finding a spot where I can get a pretty good visual of anything coming in and, and blind calling. Um, it's strategic and where do you do it from? Just not out there like told calling every which way that bores me that feels like whitetail hunting for some reason just sitting there waiting <laughs> but if there's like some strategic reason to start calling a certain area um that's that's and that was just what this was seeing a lot of real fresh scat um and strategic reasoning can you kind of take us through that for the layman i guess yeah it, it, i mean it was just that you know it was the reason I started calling there is because it was an untouched area. There had been no scent. I hadn't walked through it. I was just getting to it. And, um, and it had some areas where I could get some glass for quite a distance and, uh, it just put me in this perfect little spot to call. And, you know, if I wouldn't have seen the cat scat and the tracks the fresh tracks and found that little layer of his, um, probably would have kept pushing in and, and looking for bears, but that kind of just seeing that, action kind of stopped me in my tracks i backed up got up on this little ridge and uh put myself in a spot with the wind that when i started ripping i would be able to uh kind of echo this throughout and 
that cat just happened to be close and he came ripping in. I saw him at 300. Um, in the beginning, I couldn't really tell what it was. I thought it could have been a fox cause I had seen a fox in there. Um, could have been a coyote, could have been a wolf, could have been anything. I wasn't sure. I just saw something coming my way. It raced through an opening out there at 300. And, um, you know, I got all set up and started ripping on that call again. And that's what pulled that cat in the rest of the way. And he, sat up on this log at 125 and gave me a shot. That's awesome. So in the month of April, you, you did some damage on some predators. Yeah. I got a great old, um, male wolf on the front end of it. Almost got another one should have, um, just slipped through chasing elk. And then, uh, my buddy Brad also took a wolf and, um, in between that, I took that mountain lion and then, yeah, we got some bears. So yeah, it was a, it was a good month for predator hunting. Well, that's your, isn't that the second year in a row you got, a, didn't you get a wolf last year too? Yep. Yep. Got one year prior and, um, and should have had two, should have had two both years actually. Uh, one was a rifle issue and the other one was I just was looking in the wrong spot when he went through my little kill box. I was looking down and I should have been looking over and I would have had a second one um, this year. So yeah, there's a lot of them out there. No doubt about it. It's, it's good times if you're um, looking to get out and chase some wolves right now. Are you, you're not calling those. Those are just spot and stock. <laughs> yeah. Just grabbing bandages and glass and mostly looking for buzzards and, um, signs of kill and then glass in that area, pretty heavy. Did you make any money on them? Yeah, I will be. I got to turn it in first. Hell yeah. Uh, I think that's 15, 1500 now. So something like that. But yeah, I gotta, I gotta turn it into those guys for sure. Yep. That's a good thing. Everybody should join the foundation of wildlife management and get reimbursed for killing vermin. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a bunch of, it's pretty cool um, just to have that ability to go chase them down and surprising how many we're seeing out there, actually. Yeah, it seems to be but, a hot, well, you know, New Mexico has a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's funny. I was uh, Tom from Stuck in the Rut. I don't know if you guys have talked to him much, but. Yeah, I've talked to him. Talking to him. Yeah, his best months. And, um, you know, he's he's made claim that August is one of his prime months to get out there chasing them and i just always assumed it'd be like february march you know that's when we see them that's when they're kind of congregated but uh and april but uh gotcha. yeah he, that guy really well in august you know with those new young young pups so so when we killed them it was in may and we found the pups and just called mm-hmm. in the sentry in the big mill so yeah, yeah. yeah. You find the pups, you yep. can find some wolves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this yep. is a random question. Somebody I talked to on Rockslide. <clears throat> I told him I was going to have you on the shoot hunt podcast. And he asked me that you don't seem to do a lot of scouting. Is that true or not? Um, I definitely don't as much as I used to. And, uh, I would if I could, but most of my days are, are either on the hunt, um, and, you know, a big reason why I'm a huge promoter advocate for, you know, two week hunts or 10 day hunts, um, 
that allows you to scout on the front end when the animals are in the areas they're going to be in when you're hunting them. It does give you a ha- you know a handful of days to really figure out the area. I do a lot of um, map work more than I used to. You know, pre-family, pre-marriage, pre-all that, definitely uh, more time to get out and just bomb around and, and scout out mule deer areas. But anymore, it's, um, you know, I want to spend as much time with my girls as I can. And, you know, so summer months, I'm not I'm not out there you know, just looking for, uh, looking for muley areas or whatever, and trying to do as many trips with them as I can. And, and then I indulge myself in the fall with 10 day trips and try to do as many of those as I can. So that's when I take my days and, um, you know, obviously a lot of e-scouting kind of goes into new areas and things like that, but e-scouting only takes you so far. Uh, Eyes on the, on the actual terrain is always better. There's always things you don't see. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's, I get my e-scouting done on the front end of the trip for the most part, or my, uh, just my overall scouting. Fair enough. All right. Well, moving into, to gear, um, and I'll keep it kind of short and simple with your, the gear choices. Can you tell Ryan, tell us Ryan Lamper's gear choices for boots, backpacks Mm -hmm. and insulation? Yeah. Yep. Um, as far as boots go, um, you know, I know a lot of guys love a stiff boot. A lot of guys, they, they require one, you know, whether it's, um, just how they are with their feet, their legs, muscles, um, stiff boots, kind of like a sheep type boot. It's always been a, you know, used to be steel shank, just, you know, fours, fives. Um, those are great for many people, but personally, I am a very, um, big advocate for softer boots like a tennis shoe you know i used to hunt in solomon tennis shoes for crying out loud and then you know i just found the softest boot i could find that was waterproof went up the uh ankle a bit gave me decent tread and um and i kind of migrated to the uh, laponia the crispy laponia um for the reason i described it's it's an all-other boot very waterproof it's very flexible it's like a slipper and um, I feel like I am more mobile in those than anything else. And you put me on a mountain with uh, with sheep, you put me on the mountain for spring bear, you know, eastern Montana. It doesn't matter. I'm going to be in that Laponia until I can't because it's uh, my feet are freezing off because they're uninsulated. Um, and then I might go to a, a heavier duty boot. But for the most part, uh, nine out of ten hunts are in a soft um one flex rating crispy laponia i'm with you i fucking hate stiff boots what when you do upgrade like you go into november like late montana or something what boot are you jumping to so um i went to a straight 800 gram wild rock uh that's for those extreme conditions where you know it's 15 20 below which we're often dealing with uh here in montana in those november trips uh I'm, I'm very lucky my feet don't get really cold um like froze up too bad but in those minus temps when you're parked on a on a knob and you're glassing and it's windy and everything's cutting through those 800 grams are very nice to have um and if you don't have them you're you're definitely having to get creative with uh keeping your feet from getting the frostbite so 
I do those wild rocks and those have been great. They're much, they're stiffer, obviously they're a higher boot. They're a lot more boot to them. Um, but man, I, I, I use those Laponias in almost everything until I absolutely can't. And, um, and I do really well in them. My feet don't, I have no foot pain. I don't have, um, you know, any pain in my Achilles or heels or any of that. And it's just soft boots and the best thing for me by a mile. All right. Backpacks. I know you've ran the gamut on backpacks. Yeah. Yeah. I've tried a lot of them. Um, for quite a few years, I was running, uh, that sky guy from stone glacier. I ran it all the way up until last year, actually. And, um, I really enjoyed that. That was a great, a great comfortable pack that carries weight pretty well. Um, you know, it was a 7,900 because food is bulky and 10 day, 12 day trips require a lot of space for, you know, 22 pounds, 24 pounds of food. Um, so I always went with the largest capacity that I could. And that was that 7,900. Um, but lately, you know, I'm getting older and I want things to feel lighter when they're on my back. So I, um, I went to, uh, I tried out that initial ascent, um, framed pack and they built one that was even bigger, uh, bag wise than the 7,900. So they built an 8k. And it's not 8,000. This thing is a monster, but I think it's, I want to say it's like 87 or 8,800. Oh it's got to be a refrigerator oh. on your back. Yeah, it's great, man. But it, it, it sucked down, you know, with the strapping, obviously you can turn it into a day pack if you want, but I absolutely love it. I mean, I've been taking it, um, on a lot of trips. I, I've been running it in the mornings on my morning hikes, just little rucks with sand and the things just carried way well. You know, that mm-hmm. stiffer frame, carbon uh, fiber frame that they came up with. I mean, I think it's genius. It's very unique. It's different. And, you know, some might say it, it's not as comfortable um, run at ran as it like a day pack or every day, you know, air in it. But when you get weight on it, that's where that thing really shines. You, know, you can throw 120 pounds and it. I know people say it all the time, but it doesn't feel like it's 120 pounds. It feels like it's 80 pounds. It feels, it carries very well. And so I become a very big fan of that. And, you know, let's face it, most days it's, it's, it's not going to be ran under 40 pounds anyway. Um, and then when you're coming out, coming out heavy with a hundred to 120, that thing is a dream. And, um, yeah, I just found with a lot of the trips that, that we do 10 day, 12 day trips, uh, we're carrying rafts at times and oars and, you know, we don't short ourselves on food anymore. And, you know, um, it, it's just a perfect bag for it. So I've been running that a lot. Uh, tried it a lot this past fall, um, on some shorter trips and then ran it down for coups and been running on all these spring trips. And, um, they've made a lot of changes with the bag designs over there at initial ascent. I think they're a big upgrade from where they were a year ago. Um, but one thing that isn't changing, I don't think is that frame and that's where I've, I've been very impressed. So that's, that's what I've been running. I'll go with that. I'm with you on the stiff backpacks. I like super stiff packs because you can have it either. Ha- you're going to lose either way. If you want it comfortable with no weight, there's too much flex. And if you want it, you know, the vice versa, if you want it nice, heavy, it's got to be stiff as hell. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And you know, I, <clears throat> I, I guess I guess I can say we fell into the trap of 
everything's got to be uber light. I mean, we let's face it. I think we've all gone through the stage of getting to the point where you're shaving every single ounce out, right? You're cutting tags, you're doing all the things. I know I was there at a certain point. Every ounce, half ounce mattered. Um, and then you mature. And then you're like, <laughs> you know what? Come on. It is really, I'm, I'm man enough to pack a few extra ounces here if it means a little bit more comfort. So I've swung wildly to Uber Light. And now I've come back to the middle and I'm willing to carry a pack that's got a few extra ounces to it. If it means more comfort and that mm-hmm. it's going to carry weight really want it to when I'm at a hundred pounds or 80. And also some of the gear reflects that as well. You know, I'm willing to pack a few things now that I wasn't doing in the past, you know, um, you know, comfort. And uh, I don't want to feel like a pansy and like, cut out all these little comfort things because I'm not willing to pack an extra pound. Um, I feel like, you know, these workouts, these rucks and all the things should allow us to carry a little extra weight. And uh, so I'm back on that side of the fence. Now I'm, I'm packing a little bit more if it means more comfort. Yeah. I want to buy my way to lightweight instead of lose weight. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So yeah. you're, you're, yeah. Insula- best way to shave weight, right? Yeah, best way is to lose weight, but <laughs> oh, your insulation layers very important. What do yeah. you roll roll with? Okay, that's where I'm very skimpy as far as weight goes. Um, I ran, you know, down stuff in the past that had a little extra beef to it. I've found that the way I use down is usually I'm not mobile, I'm parked in a glass and spot, or I'm a camp. So I've gone with the Stone Glacier Grumman um, material. It's uber light. You know, I think like their their top is like 11 ounces for the Grumman uh, puff jacket that I wear. I just read they just come out with a Grumman light after we talked about it, right? Yeah, they got a Grumman light too. Um, You know, that 11 ounces, I usually just pack that thing everywhere. There's a few instances where I won't or where it makes sense to pack maybe something a little bit different, like um, something in a synthetic, which Stone has as well. They they made that Cirque, and I've worn that. I wore that in Alaska uh, where I'm not hiking in and, you know, doubling my weight, um, just running a river and a raft and things like that. I packed the Cirque for that. And then sometimes on these spring trips, I'll, I'll run that Cirque, which... Um, you know, it's kind of nice because you're in and out of a lot of moisture. You know, it can be wet and miserable. But nine, 90% of the time, I'm just packing that Grumman. You know, it's 11 ounces um, and uh, very, very good warmth to it, I've found. You know, the material on the outside is not going to be the toughest. So if you want, like, like you said, there's compromises with everything lightweight. If you want something that you're going to walk through brush in, probably don't look at the Grumman. There's probably better materials out there from other companies that aren't so uber lightweight. Um, but if you're a guy that just puts it on the glass uh, and you're not beating through brush or snagging it on stuff, man, that that stuff from Stone is pretty tough to beat in both the uh, pants and the jacket, which is kind of where I fall. I think those both those trips. Like when it gets cold, cold, are you using the vest underneath it or do you just go to a bigger insulation yeah. piece? No, so I'll just run vests now. Um, 
Yeah, they've got the vest. You put the vest on. So for a while, I was actually, when it's cold, cold, like the minus 15s and 20s, mm-hmm. I was uh, I was wearing two grummets. Um, <laughs> both on. Um, and uh, going that route. But fortunately, then they came out with the vest. And so, you, yeah, you put the vest on and the, uh, the regular grill and you're, you're pretty good. And, you know, if it's still cold and, you know, you just put your rain jacket over top of all that. And uh, I don't know how you're getting cold after, after you do, do that for sure. That's a lot of geese around you. It is. Yep. Yeah. But I tell you, um, Montana, Idaho, in these late November months, boy, it, it can sure be nice to pack a little extra half dozen more ounces for a vest, and uh, and you're just a lot warmer that way. All right, and uh, real quick on this one, because I don't want to take you forever on your time, but sleep system. You've said on on videos you sleep like a baby in the backcountry. What's your setup? <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know why. I, I don't have issues with elevation or anything like that, you know. Any anywhere from sea level to Colorado parked at twelve five, I sleep like a baby. Um, don't know why. I'm very lucky that way. I know it, it affects a lot of people altitude, um, but I sleep like a rock. And you know, we do the CBD sleep gummies, so that's a part of it. But I do those out there or soft gel, and um, so the gummies don't have melatonin in them. The soft gel does. So for guys that are good with with melatonin, man, that, um, that little soft gel that we put out is, I mean, you're, you're 10 minutes and you're drooling, you know, you're, you're, you're down for the, <laughs> what, what happens if you but, come get raped by a bear in the middle of the night? <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I, I mean, I'm at one of those places like my, uh, my air mattress, I don't go with the Uber skinny anymore. I actually do like the 25 inch wide air mattress. Um, you know, that X-Lite, uh, Neo Air X-Lite. So I pack a, an extra couple ounces to get the larger air mattress. Mm. Um, and then bag-wise, I'm always in a 15-degree bag. And if it's colder than that, I'm I'm putting my puff pants on and puff jacket on so I don't have to pack a zero degree. And, uh, yeah, that's that's been pretty solid for me. But You packing a pillow? Um, well, I have something that use, I use as a pillow. Uh, I don't, I don't pack those blow up things anymore. Those never worked well for me. I did end up somewhere else in the tent by morning. Um, they just never were comfortable. So all I do is I've got a little, uh, oh, who makes that? Is it Z-Packs or Hyperlite? I don't know. They make this little dying Eva bag. Mm-hmm. It's got like a kind of a fleece on one side of it. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. It can be used as just kind of like a, a stuff sack. And then if you want to use it as a pillow, you pull it inside out. You got one side that's felt. I'll just throw my puff jacket in there, my puffy pants, and zip it up. And that's my pillow. So I've got it already. It serves as a, as a food bag as well. But people tell me they don't need pillows. That means they have skinny shoulders. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. You're not, are you one of those guys that packs a blow up or what? No, I pack it. Well, it's uh fuck. No, it's actually a pillow. Yeah. I have a real pillow. <laughs> it's a fucking pillow. Like the one you roll up and it tucks in yep, itself. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, I have goats a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, you've, you've, you've went to the dark side. You're using llamas a lot more. I see. <laughs> I am. 
I am. Boy, camps get, I mean, camp slippers now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was like uh, heat ox chairs, little one pound even ox chairs. Sometimes yep. Fucking ribeye. It'll turn you soft, man. Ghosts and llamas will turn you soft. No doubt about it. Uh, or they make for a better backcountry experience. Either way you look at it, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm getting older. I'm not, I'm not complaining. It does make a very nice camp. Um, I hear if you hunt with Livesey, it's basically like a city. <laughs> Dude, we packed like nine llamas. You <laughs> didn't have to pack anything on our backs. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We had, and again, we brought like, we just brought some extras that made it a little more comfortable, a little extra food, camp chairs or glass and chairs, which I would never, never pack in on just a backcountry trip. But man, when you got animals packing it for you, why not? Absolutely. Backcountry food. The one thing I, I appreciate about, appreciate about you and Hillary is you guys live what you say. A lot of people have this online persona that's pure bullshit, but I spent enough time with you as what you say online is what you do. So you have a little bit different, like, you know, when I go backcountry food, it's how many gummy bears can I jam into this? You know, how much licorice can I pack into this? But you stay pretty clean. Can you kind of talk about your food system? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all kinds of hippie on my end. You know, you know, our history with gardening and all the things, yes. right? right? Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, when it comes to food, I've gone to, um, you know, I've progressed from buying all the mountain house stuff back in the day to trying to get the cleanest of companies, you know, which we have an abundance of now. Everybody's got access to meals they probably like from, you know, the peak refuels to gosh, there's a million of them now that are Heather's Choice or Gastronome, whatever your preference is. Um, but you know, they're expensive and, uh, you still didn't build it yourself. And uh, if you're a DIY guy, why not just build your meal yourself and make your own, make the meals that you enjoy uh, with the meat that you took and the gardens you grew or whatever. Um, so, yeah, we we snobbed out and for years we ran a uh, just a dehydrator and we would make meals, you know, whether it's uh, lasagnas, pastas, chili stews, all the things with a dehydrator. And that was great. Um but we've gone next level now for the last couple of years and we went to a freeze dryer. Uh, I went ahead and made the investment. Uh, it's a big investment, no doubt about it. Those things aren't cheap, but it's a lifetime purchase in my opinion. So now um, I went, I, I, you know, I bought that and uh, I just do all my own. Now I can do breakfast. Can do egg scrambles and biscuits and gravy if we want if the kids are coming and can pretty much just freeze dry about anything um quinoa dishes and just elk veggie moose veggie all the things all the meals that you enjoy at home i now just build giant quantities of freeze dry stock them up put them in mylar bags and use them in the fall or on whenever we take a hunt or just a trip is that, is that, when you set that up, is it like a dehydrator or has to be really flat? Like when I made my, I've made spaghetti and chili and stuff. Does it have to be super thin like that or no? No, no, it doesn't. So what a freeze dryer does, it, you know, it's pulling the gases out of it. So it freezes it, I think to like 40 below or something like that. And then it slowly heats it and pulls the gases out, pulling out all the moisture, the moisture. 
you know, when you do a, um, a dehydrator, it's using heat mm-hmm. to dry your food, which um, in turn gives you a little bit of nutrient loss. You know, heat's going to kill some of the nutrients. Uh, the numbers range wildly from 10%, which you'll hear in the um, dehydration world, to 40%, which you'll hear from guys in the freeze-drying food uh, world. So I don't know, somewhere in the middle, it takes a lot of the nutrients out of your your meals that you're making, whereas a freeze dryer doesn't, you know, it preserves it to spec. You know, you put in a piece of apple or pineapple, mango, whatever, it comes out basically the same size as it went in. It just hmm. doesn't have any moisture to it. Um, rehydration time with a freeze dryer, uh, with freeze dried foods is under half, well under half of what it takes to rehydrate dehydrated food. And so the advantages are, you know, overwhelming when it comes to quality um, from the nutrients to even to the the rehydrating to just the, the flavor profile. You don't lose any flavors when you freeze dry, whereas there is some meals that you make with a dehydrator that you lose some of it. And then you got to add a little extra flavoring or salt or whatever to your meal to get it to taste a little better. But no, man, I'm in love with the freeze dryer. I'm able to make snacks. One of Ryan Avery's all-time favorite snacks I know is sweet potatoes. Oh, and for so fuck's sakes. <laughs> and make so many different types of sweet potato smoothies, sweet potato leathers, um, freeze dryer. I'm making like protein sweet potato bites that have all kinds of that goodness that come with sweet potatoes. Um, how oh, Avery being heavy. Uh, <laughs> those things will make me gag. <laughs> <laughs> Although I got to give yeah. it to you when you made those, what was the, uh, little, those little, uh, oat balls or what, what'd you call those? The, yeah. Peanut butter balls. It's yes. Peanut butter. Uh, you can do honey, agave, or maple syrup, and some oats. It's real simple. Oh, freaking delicious! Roll those up, dehydrate them. Make packaroons with the dehydrator, and you can get all kinds of creative. Just making your own snacks. So when you when you look at like the food bag now, um, you know I don't have to get all these bars that just you get sick of in in a few days, and you don't even want to eat them. Um, man, just just getting creative and making your own snacks with the dehydrator. Uh, it's, or the freeze dryer, it makes a world of difference. Now it is, like I said, it's an investment, but if you're someone that spends a lot of days on the mountain, go do some math and figure out what those meals are running you. Um, you know, if you spend 50 days a year, a hundred days a year, um, which is, sounds like a lot, but a lot of people are actually getting to those numbers now. It doesn't take that long to pay for that, um, that freeze dryer if you're buying meals and then you just have a plethora of the food that you really like and yeah. you can utilize a lot of wild game that you took from the year prior, which is what I love to do. And you're talking, it's like 2,500, three grand for one of those ish. Yeah. Yeah. So I bought the medium, which was, I think it was like, yeah, 2,800 bucks. So huge investment. Um, but man, I tell you what, the, the ground meat that I have, that's just preserved in Mason jars now and I don't know how many breakfast scrambles that I have or biscuits and gravy uh, meals that I have and just a ton of different dinners. Um, 
I can grab them at will whenever I have a big trip coming and my kids can grab them if they got something they're going to do or my wife's going, my wife's going to work and doesn't have time to make a lunch. She just grabs one and goes and all you do that hot water. It's, hmm. it's pretty good. Not just for the hunting stuff. It's, it's really a, a convenience for, for families. Um, you know, in these days it's, it's just nice to have some backup, right? Yeah. So you're just making like, you're making food and then you're just making an extra batch and throw it in there. Is that how you do it? Or you just actually make batches for hunting? Both. I do both. I'll get, you know, wild hair. Some days I get up and I feel like I just need to cook like 150 eggs and make them scrambles. <laughs> I, I fucking, um, I always think about making 150 eggs. <laughs> yeah. So if you're doing straight eggs, you can actually freeze dry 84 <laughs> eggs per batch on a medium, which I do all the time. Wow. Um, but often dinners, like we'll just make a dinner and, uh, and we'll just double, triple batch it. So there's a bunch of extra. We get it to taste really good. And then, um, the rest of it goes in the freeze dryer. So it's pretty slick. What is the mill of choice? If you had one to pick. From? <laughs> oh man. So this year I made a, uh, a moose quinoa veggie and I put a little bit of curry to it. That was pretty dang good, man. Um, you you, you lost me at quinoa. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite words. You, you don't even say it right. Quinoa. Have you ever seen that video? <laughs> Dude, quinoa is just one of those grains that is uh, better for you than other things. A little more protein to it. It rehydrates very quickly, better than rice. And, uh, you know, got a little better nutrient profile to it. So and I think it tastes pretty dang good with other things, other things added. But um, that's been a, been a hot one. Um, what else? Um, all curry dishes are great. Uh, I did a, a barbecued... Um, pork rice meal with veggies that was pretty dang good um i will say everybody notices when i start adding water to that barbecue pork meal it's uh it's just pure goodness wafting through the teepee but almost every meal pretty dang good guys honestly i'm gonna have to try that out <laughs> yeah get creative with it uh, yeah i'm gonna see if i, I can get a whole out. fucking whopper in there <laughs> I took, Took, a, took an apple pie and I just mashed it up, freeze dried it. So I was eating some apple pie on the mountain this year. Really? Yeah. Is there anything that doesn't work with it? Like you can't freeze dry like ice cream. I imagine you could freeze dry ice cream. Oh yeah, easy. No, ice cream sandwiches is one of those snacks that's freeze dried that everybody likes. Mm. You can take yeah, all the dried up. Um so one item that I found not to work is uh go to costco you know those grillo pickles yeah Man, i freeze dried some of those and i did like a bunch of um uh, like pickled olives and things like that and those all turned out good but grillo pickles those things were like the saltiest thing you've ever had in your life uh, that's pretty much the one thing that that doesn't work great um but no we've for the kids you know there's a candy setting on that thing so you can you can turn it to the candy setting and a lot of guys do um, gummy bears, gummy worms, Skittles, things like that. Not so those gummies. That. <laughs> What's that? No edibles. <laughs> edibles in, probably good. How, like but how dude, small does it make a gummy bear? It makes them bigger. Makes them, so it takes a gummy bear and it blows it up about four sizes. <laughs> from what a gummy bear really is. <laughs> so, like a fucking T-Rex um, gummy bear. 
you can get those fruit juice gummy bears out there uh-huh. um better better than the haribos and i uh, agree wholeheartedly and, and do those and dude you get like it just like melts in your mouth and it enhances the flavor of the gummy bear as well hmm. it's kind of cool so they grow um, like the size of a fucking cinnamon bear yes gotcha. they get way bigger and they get like this light airy you know feel to them um so you just throw one in your mouth and it's it just kind of melts sounds like a marshmallow peep yeah that sounds awesome <laughs> it tastes like yeah, it tastes like sugar um but yeah no those are those are good even the, the worms things like that the skittles are for whatever reason in the freeze-dry community guys love doing skittles those completely change as well they get to about three times the normal size um just a way different <laughs> normal skittle so yeah That's you can awesome. get all kinds of cre- free um like uh anything with like super super high fat content that would be one that you don't want to really mess with like mm. if you're just throw peanut butter in there or chocolate it's not going to do a dang thing now if you miss mix chocolate and peanut butter into like a, a shake with a bunch of milk or whatever and pour that out on the tray that's going to be good that's going to be great <laughs> um but on its on its own like real high fatty foods don't do well you got to mix them all right well Moving on to the next, we forgot about uh, one thing in the gear is that the Tricer. I see you did. I seen you did a video with the Tricer uh, tripod and head, and yeah. uh, it looks very lightweight. So you put it through the paces. What's your thoughts? Yeah, no, it's been great. Yeah, I've been able to run it uh, on twenty days worth of hunt so far, and that was just aside from you know, working working with it in my yard here, playing around with it, but. Uh, it's a great setup, man. I think um, the guy that built it, um, kind of an engineering mind to him, I guess. But uh, the way those legs are reversed, you know, they're fatter on the bottom than they are on the top. So he reversed everything. And I think I was telling you, Ryan, the one thing that you have to get used to on the Tricer uh, tripod is that everything is in reverse. So, you know, you get so used to, you know, throwing the tripod up, you spin those things um one way well they got to be spun the other way to open them up and then lock them so it's just takes a couple days to get used to but once you do it is a very lightweight setup that's got more stability than having those thin legs down at the bottom and you combo that with that head i mean what is the head like four and a half ounces or something like that Mm -hmm. that pan head it's a great setup i mean it's a backcountry hunter's dream um setup for uh shaving probably as much weight as you can possibly shave have you uh, still have have you shot off it or if learn like a heavy optic off it yeah well like a 65 millimeter Mm -hmm. um i ran that and and i rolled that all over the place on the mountain and it's it's smooth enough um you know and obviously with any binos or smaller uh spotter you're going to be even better but no i've ran it with the 65 a lot and it works great all right. Um, the same person asked me about the scouting, asked me about land navigation. Do you use compass map? Are you all electronic or what is the Lampers process? Yeah, I'm pretty much electronic, um, you know, with redundancy, right? Um, you know, most of us now carry multiple devices, but um, 
you know, with the, with the multiple apps, that's one thing having some redundancy in, you know, an in reach or whatever is awfully nice. Um, but you know, I'm not, I'm not too worried about getting lost out there or having any issues with that. Uh, I know there's a lot of new devices coming out, but you know, when it comes to like safety, I want, I want a device that, you know, like say with an in reach versus a, I don't know if this, I don't think the Zolio baby sticks or whatever. They don't have the ability to message off of that individual device. I don't believe. Um, whereas an in reach, say you were to lose your phone, mm-hmm. um, at least they'll get messages out with the in reach. Yes. But, um, no, I'm, I am pretty, uh, pretty bought into just the technology stuff. I'm not, uh, I, I do have a company that's in my kit that stays there. And, uh, but I'm just, I've not yet had to pull it out for any, any issues yet. I imagine a long, you're, long time. you're like me or you, Jake is where by the time you go somewhere, you fucking looked at it so many times. You pretty much got your, you pretty you know, much got your train association of what's going on. You are so, yeah, it's, it's redundant how it feels like you've been there a million times. Um, you know, usually I'm not needing to pull out my maps to figure out where I'm at. I know where the trail system's in. I know the drainage. I know all that. So going into it. So not going in blind is we're way different now. You know, from back in the day, we didn't have the tools to e-scout and really learn your area, how the drainage is laid out and all that kind of stuff like we do now. So um, if you're doing it right, I feel like you should be pretty in tune with the terrain that you're going into. Um, I think where you probably would run into issues is in more desert type areas, flats places like that um that's going to be a little tougher obviously all right i wouldn't it wouldn't be right if i didn't ask you why elk are so much better than mule deer <laughs> oh they're not this <laughs> mule deer are king and uh bears are second and then elk and i don't even know where whitetail fall they're way way down that list <laughs> oh no if we if we go like with survival of the fittest I put mule deer yeah. there with wild sheep. Like they get a sneeze and they fucking kill over dead. Almost like an antelope in Wyoming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mule deer, man, they just, they just take you. They just take you to the right areas. I love where, where we go chasing mule deer. Elk are cool too. And elk are, it's pretty awesome during the rut. But um, over the years, Ryan, I, I just, I'm in love with mule deer more than any other thing that I'm chasing for sure. Um, but elk are cool, I guess. <laughs> they take the places you do have hunt mule deer look like, uh, like Lord of the Rings, like Mordor. They look pretty mm-hmm. epic when you're in there in the videos. It is. And it, and what's funny is like, um, spring bear has crept up to my, my second favorite because of that as well. Some of the places that we're going into to chase spring bear are those same type places, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're up there sheep and goat country and, and, you know, mule deer country in the fall season. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to beat. And, uh, I think I'm hunting the areas more than the animals these days. It's those places that the, we get to go chase them and elk, you know, they can do that as well. I'm not saying they don't, but I don't know. There's, um, hunted a lot of elk and, uh, I'm just feeling more excitement for bears and big muley bucks these days than I am for elk. A lot nicer to pack out. I'll give you that. <laughs> yes, for sure. 
Uh, you, you, you cut your teeth hunting elk in the Idaho panhandle. How come uh, when I talked to you the other day, you're kind of scared of the panhandle now? <laughs> I'm not scared. <laughs> See, I hunted it in its glory days, though. I hunted it uh, in the 90s, and then the, the wolves came in uh end of that decade and changed things for sure mm-hmm. um i had hunted i hunted them well into the wolf era as well in the panhandle and it was a ton of fun but you know that country is thick and steep and awesome but it's it's i don't know i kind of out i grew out of that and and migrated more to more of a spot and stock rich environment places that i could lay eyes on a bull and and try to get in tight and kill him that way with my bow versus the calling which kind of is only north idaho um you know i loved my time picking fights in north idaho and calling in mature bulls um but yeah it got to be to a point there where it seemed like we were only finding bulls in like every fifth or sixth drainage and the wolves had them pretty uh pretty freaked out for quite a few years there so in that time frame i moved on and uh really i just haven't gone back i've fallen in love with more of a spot and stock approach than a call-in approach and it, it sure seems like um you know getting in on some of those older mature bulls is a little bit easier to do than um picking fights and uh, trying to pull in herd bulls i cannot argue with that North Idaho people need to stay out. It sucks. I tell people that it's like, I've hunted a lot of States and North Idaho is the roughest that I have hunted as far as the, how many animals, the terrain you're hunting in and the brush. And you know, a lot about brush from, you know, Western Washington. Yeah. That's where I grew up. Saying, that same type of terrain, you know, it was thick, uh, dark timber and everything was in your calling and, and it can be frustrating, you know, a lot of wet, uh, September days, um, hiking around all day in rain gear and cause you're in thick brush and that's not necessarily the case in the more open country as much, but you got to give credit to guys that do hunt that North panhandle type stuff. Um, you gotta be a man to hunt that and hunt it effectively and be consistent year in and year out. There's no easy thing about it. All right, on your side, the Western Hunting Summits, are they all filled up? Is there any rooms available, or how does somebody go about getting a spot if there are? Yeah, so we got we, we went to two events this year. Um, most years we're doing three, and we had all the plans in the world to do three, but um, I was attempting to do the third one off of private and onto public, and um, you know how it is working with the state. In the permitting process, um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. This one was looking like a go, and it just didn't work out in the end. But um, maybe next year for that third event. So this year we've got two. We've got an elk-specific event on June 15th through the 18th. And then we have a, a combo event on the 15th, or sorry, the 22nd through the 25th of, um, of June. And that combo is surprising. Like It's funny, like the elk events used to sell out. the the quickest everybody just packed into the elk events and now um you know as people get um wiser older wiser smarter they start seeing that mule deer are the uh elite animal out there on the landscape (laughs) i fucking like how you tucked that in (laughs) yeah this year the combo event which is pretty muley um 
heavy uh sold out the quickest like it filled and then there's actually a couple of spots left because we've had a few folks have to drop out and that happens every year so we've got a few spots um open on the elk event on the the first one um but yeah this year we decided to go away from the mountains we've done the crazies we've done the madison range we've done um turner's place up here uh, north end of the bridgers and they've all been kind of a mountainous elevated terrain um kind of conducive to like mule deer stuff this year we've got a ranch out in the missouri river breaks that we're settling into and it's a it's a lot of land that we can cover there's a lot of elk a lot of mule deer a lot of big horns on this piece um great little piece uh with a ranch house on it and so this year's going to be the breaks different terrain different venue than we've done in the past um but it's going to be really cool so we've got a few new presenters coming in um we're going to be um we're going to be showing guys the process of uh taking out an animal we've got a bison coming in we're going to knock him down and butcher him on site and that's what we're going to be eating on for the um for the event it's going to be pretty cool so very nice um just a lot of education but a lot more um of that is now experience and just kind of fun you know like um these 3d shoots that we go off and do um we hike about five miles out shoot our way out overnight it on the mountain and then shoot our way back which is a um pretty fun thing for everybody on the uh, combo event we do the same with the rifle stuff guys will shoot a uh, steel course going out getting to camp shoot a steel course coming back the next day um and doing all that so, nice. yeah he's got a bunch of bunch of good guys one of um jake's ultimate admirers and that's brady miller he's coming back he's gonna take the guys on the um the rifle course this year and do all things that brady does but a lot of good educators on it and it's just kind of a fun four days spent with a good group of dudes that's one more tough motherfucker like you brady miller i've seen him in some shit oh, yeah he gets after it man i am um, i love brady a lot. good dude gets after it he's very knowledgeable he uh he immerses himself in this stuff and I had a chance. I went hunting with Brady last year, spring bear, and um, we got him a great bear. And yeah, he's he's a uh, no quit type guy. He just he doesn't give up. He's a tall man and uh, with a big wingspan, and he can cover some miles for sure. <laughs> you always think that him and Kurt need to hunt together. Yeah, Rasco. Yeah, yeah. Same yeah. long, lanky strides. Lanky, yeah, thin. They can. Yeah, they got a motor to him for sure. Yeah, he was also coerced by the elk last year. I saw he uh, quit mealder hunting to hunt the better species on a hunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have Brady with love for mule deer. That's why I love the man. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, he had, he had a tough year, um, like a lot of people did with mule last year. But he's um, he's he's just like me on the bear thing, though. He, He's really getting after this bear thing, hot and heavy. And what does he call it? Elk mountain carp. He uh, calls <laughs> yeah. him something like. He's a, he's a. Yeah, but he went out of his way to shoot one last year and pack it out in a in a snowstorm. The allure is yeah. there. The allure is there. <laughs> that yeah. When all things fail on the mule deer front, you got to go 
something, I guess you go get no. So it's a quitter's deer is what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> the last resort. <laughs> uh, <laughs> down the mountain. Really good mule deer hunt. Yeah. It's that thing that hangs out by the trailhead. <laughs> oh, you're talking about wild sheep. No. All right. So stealthy nutrition, you got it all in one place now. This is the last question we'll let you go because it's been like an hour and a half and I only meant to keep you for an hour. Oh, yep. Yep. Stealthy nutrition. It's all things that, uh, that keep a 49 year old feeling better than he probably should, I guess. Um, so you got the CBD you know, so there that works wonders. What else you got over there? Yeah. yeah so, so yeah, it's all at one place. You can just stealthyhunter.com, I guess, is where all the the shop stuff is and all the material and recipes, all that jazz, but yeah, all in one place now. So as far as the subs go, you know, we do the CBD things, everything from full spectrum, broad spectrum gels to, or capsules to gummies, um, sleep formulas, yada, yada. And then we do a, one of our probably most popular, um, items is the bone broth protein powder. Mm -hmm. That is your meal replacement. It's got all things healthy, good, vitamin-wise. Uh, it is a meal on its own. Um, it's not just a shake that you would do like pre-workout, post-workout. Well, you can do a post-workout because it's got all the stuff, um, fats, carbs, proteins. But um, it's not just like your classic ops-type pre-workout shake that gets you all bloated up and um, and not feeling very good. Mm -hmm. uh, broth protein does not bloat you it's not a whey protein no no it's a it's it's bone broth protein so there is no way in there whatsoever to uh get your guts all crappy anybody who's done shakes you know you know when you're doing your workouts or whatever you've experienced probably bloat from one brand of shake yeah. to another but if it's got whey in it you're going to experience bloat most likely. And pea protein is probably one of the worst offenders. I think half the people in the country would be, would not be well with pea protein. Um, what is that? Avery, you well with peas, it. those little green. Oh, peas. Yeah. I, I was thinking of, never mind. I was thinking of something else. <laughs> it's not that pea. No. <laughs> no. The, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that you just get bloated. And uh, I have not talked to one person anyone who's had any kind of issues with their guts when they've had our bone broth protein. Well, but like I said, it's got all the vitamins. It's what our kids do every morning before they go out the door. Um, it's kind of like a multivitamin packed with, with all the good stuff. Um, but yeah, it's good. I just throw like a, some mango or some berries and banana in there and, or just peanut butter and banana and chocolate flavor. And it's great. Um, but that's one of our better sellers. And then we got all the gut health stuff, which isn't that sexy, but it's important. You know, mm -hmm. we definitely kind of recommend or my wife does that everybody does like a, a gut restoration once a year. It's kind of a restore on your guts and getting you digesting the food that you take in. Hopefully it's clean somewhat um, so that you perform better. And um, that's a big part of being able to recover and uh actually absorb the foods that that you eat um a lot of folks are dealing with like leaky gut stuff and issues in their guts that um aren't really doing them any favors and uh, so inflammation is always a thing immune is always a thing so being compromised there 
So a healthy gut is, is just a healthier person. So again, not sexy, but it's something we definitely recommend and people do it and they feel better. And, um, you know, ultimately for me, I just want to feel better all the time and taking these trips. And so keeping the inflammation down and the immunity up and, um, yeah, it's important. So that's kind of what falls in line in our supplements. And you're not just, you know, you're not like a supplement supplement company just out there selling shit to sell shit. You actually have a method behind your madness. Yeah. Yeah. So if you say buy a gut restoration bundle, there's a program that it goes with um, that kind of walks you through the process of getting your guts reset, detoxed and reset. And um, then what you can do to kind of maintain it with a good immune probiotic and things like that. And so, yeah, we kind of move things that matter instead of fluffy things that, uh, that you might see out there. Not selling the Kool-Aid. Tastes, tastes like cotton candy, but might not have the effects that you're hoping for. So, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. We've got a really good electrolyte drink mix that's clean, um, no sugar in there, and, and uh, it's solid. And uh, that's kind of what we drink with, with all the water we're taking in out in the mountains as well. If you carry it as a carry-on, they might think it's cocaine. <laughs> Just from, from yeah. experience. Yeah. Don't pack your e-charge tub on the plane. <laughs> they took Tanya's bag and she had a jar of it. Uh-huh. They found out for sure it's a legal substance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. I just want to ask you, you, uh, which Tricer tripod are you carrying? Are you carrying the sit down one or the full length? I'm going to sit down one. I didn't really want to pack the extra ounces on the tall. Okay. For some guys, um, tall might make sense, you know, and it might make sense if you're using it for shooting, you know, absolutely. But I'm just running the sit down one. That's just my program. I'm always, always doing that. So okay. shave a little weight there. But I did have uh, my hands on the stand-up one for a while. I uh, was over there um, hanging with uh, Cody Rich and Yad when we were playing with it. And uh, he had that tall, which is pretty cool, but it's just not one that I would use much. That was it, sir. That's it. One thing. I, one more thing I wanted to jump on was for the longest mm-hmm. time, I thought your glassing pad was so stupid. And then I got one and I'm like, I'm stupid. The glassing pad's not stupid. You I, should buy one. I say all the time, it's like a it's like a silly little piece to sell, right? Um, I was so reluctant to, to put that in the shop, a <laughs> glassing pad. <laughs> I mean, we had cut our Z pads in half for years, but there's a lot of dang uses for this thing. And uh, you know, you guys probably aren't fans of it, but I use it as a backrest for shooting off of always. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I'm not a range guy. But, not, dude, I use it for starting fires, like getting that wind to get that fire, mm-hmm. like an all-day giant log fire on the mountain. Um, yeah, and it's nice, nice and wet. And uh, you can use it for packing out, flipping it to the orange side. I, I don't know. We keep finding for it. It works. I use it as, if I'm not sitting on I use it as a freaking table half the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I cut meat on it. Mm-hmm. Put a little mile with it. Use for cutting meat. Yeah, there's all kinds of uses for it. But yeah, for a silly little piece, um, they'll make it without it these days. It's all it's on every trip. I agree. Anything else we missed you wanted to talk about? We talked about a whole bunch of shit. 
We did. We did. Yeah. No, I'm, I don't know. I'll answer any questions, but uh, I think we covered covered it. All right. If you have any questions for me and Jake, get a hold of us at podcast at shoot to hunt.com or find us on Instagram at shoot to hunt. Thanks for listening. Yeah.